Hello, listeners. I hope you're having a lovely Christmas holiday. I know get-togethers aren't the same, but by taking precautions, we're setting ourselves up for a much safer and healthier 2021. Today's episode is all about podcasts, which have become the new media of choice and quite a phenomenon during the pandemic. I'll be interviewing my friend and my own uh, teacher and coach, Jacqueline Malone, who is very knowledgeable and the queen, in my opinion, of podcasting. Listen in. Hi, it's Kanika, and I'm back with a brand new season of That's Total Mom Sense, where I interview parenting experts, world-renowned thought leaders, best-selling authors, and trailblazing entrepreneurs on their incredible life stories and mom sense experiences. Hi, I'm Gabby Bernstein, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. It's me, Bobby Brown, on Total Mom Sense. Can't wait to share my story. Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. Pandemic or not, these episodes will inspire you to make every single day count. Episodes release on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Join my tribe and subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. Hello! On behalf of the Asian American Podcasters Association, we want to congratulate you as a 2020 Golden Crane Awards nominee. We look forward to seeing you at the AAP Golden Crane Awards show that will be live streamed with video. And we're going to make history by broadcasting the awards show on Podbean's live stream app. And to learn about all of the AAP shows in our podcast directory, go to listennotes.com. Once again, congratulations. congratulations. Where most people think they need to start is with the tech of, okay, like I want to start a podcast. What mic do I get? What, right. where, where should I record? How am I going to edit? What, what, where do I even put the podcast? How does it yeah. magically get into the apps, right? There's so much focus on tech. And right now, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but an insane amount of podcasts do what the industry calls pod fade. And that means they launch and then... They put a couple episodes out and then nothing. As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. According to Oberlo.com, there are currently 850,000 active podcasts and over 30 million podcast episodes out there across platforms like Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, GoodPods, and more. More than half of all U.S. consumers above the age of 12 listen to podcasts, and nearly three out of four podcast listeners say they tune in to learn new things. So are you toying with the idea of launching your own podcast? Are you a thought leader or an entrepreneur in your field and want to know how to pitch yourself to be a guest on podcasts? On this episode, you will definitely learn a ton because I am joined by Jacqueline Malone, a renowned podcaster, coach, and one of my coaches and strategist who has courses dedicated to podcasters and those who aspire to be guests. Jacqueline Malone helps experts exponentially grow their businesses by becoming the go-to authority in their space. She's also a keynote speaker, mama, guac lover, and host of her own podcast, The Go-To Gal Podcast. Jacqueline has leveraged podcasting to build a multi-six-figure coaching and course business, generate passive recurring revenue from affiliates, become a top 25 ConvertKit affiliate, and partners with brands like Gusto, Acuity, FabFitFun, and Sony Music. 
Jacqueline supports experts at all stages, from freelancers to global brands. She has spoken at marketing conferences around the U.S., grown her social media channels to over 50K followers, and has been featured in Entrepreneur, Yahoo Finance, Reader's Digest, Parents, Well and Good, and on dozens of podcasts and radio appearances. Jacqueline has proudly built the go-to gal empire in her slippers from her living room in Rochester, New York. She is a wife and mom of two, Eleanor, who's seven, and Marshall, who's four, and her four baby, Louie. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. This is great. I mean, I feel like this is just a super special moment for me because we got to know each other so much um, through the year when I enrolled in your course, Pace to Podcast, and I loved it. Um, It really helped me hone in on my skills and how to leverage them. So I can't thank you enough for being on my show to help the rest of the people in my tribe. (laughs) Well, I'm honored to be part of your journey and to see how you were able to take that information and implement it and get results and really just start taking your podcast and business to the next level. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. Where do I, where do I begin? (laughs) I, you know, I think what's important to say is my mom was a stay at home mom. She was, and we're still, she's like my best friend. And growing up, I'd get off the bus and just run in the house and sit at the counter and tell her every excruciating detail about my day. And she would very patiently listen and engage. <laughs> and, and that's really just continued throughout our life. But I always saw myself as, as having that same relationship with my kids. The thing is, my mom jokes, she's like, how did I raise you to be him? So my dad, (laughs) they're married like 40 years. Uh, My dad had actually in 2004, I helped my dad start his own business. He was in real estate. So he always was kind of having his own business, but to actually start his own company in 2004. But I am so much like my dad in terms of entrepreneurial spirit and the passion and and I really always thought I'd have to choose between right. having that relationship, you know, having get the kids off the bus, like having that stay-at-home mom type of lifestyle, but knowing that I never would be satisfied with that lifestyle, that I that I really was more of this entrepreneurial spirit like my dad. And in my 20s, I ended up working for a number of different entrepreneurs, and that really opened up my mind to just all the possibilities that are out there, but I still always thought I'd have to choose. And I put off having kids a little bit, not too long, but a little bit longer because I wasn't sure how it was going to fit in the mix. And actually, when I discovered podcasting, that's what really opened up my mind to this whole other world where people were starting businesses without going to the bank and taking out hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in loans, but they were able to start businesses for bootstrapping some things together and online for not a lot of money and that they were able to work part-time hours and make more than full-time income. And hearing all of these stories was so inspiring to me and just opened up a whole new world of possibility. So there was a while, it was about six months where I just binge listened to podcasts and literally took no action. It was just all the seeds getting planted. And then I finally started taking action and just started to put something out there and a little bit, a little bit. And over the past five years now, that has that has changed many times and grown with my background through all of that. In my 20s, I was always doing director of marketing stuff for, for local entrepreneurs, but many of them that had big online presences. So to really take that work that I had been doing for others and, and start applying it in a new industry to grow my own business... I don't know, just brought together these two worlds that I never thought would be possible of, okay, wait, I can make my own hours and I can still do this work that lights me up because I had that fire in me that I could never ignore. Wow. That's incredible. And so then did you kind of use your marketing background as you built GoToGal and now how you're helping others really hone in on their thought leadership? Yes. So when my business started, it started with an Instagram account. I didn't mm. have a website. Okay. I didn't have anything to sell. I didn't have a podcast yet. I literally just only had an Instagram account. That is it. And and I just started building a following. And at first version of this, it was called Chasing Dreams and Littles. And I was building a community of mom business owners. And that's what I wanted to do, right? At the time, I had a two-year-old. I very shortly after found out that I was pregnant with Marshall, with my little guy. So that fall, if you do the math here, that fall of 2015... I launched my first paid offer 
my first podcast and found out I was pregnant with Marshall all in the same week. It was a very eventful week. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And you know what? I feel like, I mean, you were already a mom at that time with a second on the way. Would you say that there's just some sort of fire in your belly (laughs) that just gets you going and you feel like I can do this? Yes, sure. I have less time and more responsibility to take care of the little one, but you just somehow have way more fervor to get done what is your true purpose, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I started with Instagram and really it was just about building a community so I could figure out how to serve that community. I wanted to be a part of that community, but I also wanted to serve that community. And that really, by having conversations and building that audience and just diving into that is what allowed me to grow very quickly on Instagram. And that opened up a bunch of other doors being the podcast and and partnerships and all of these other things that came from that. I was already motivated, but finding out that I was pregnant was terrifying, first of all, because I was not feeling good. I was not feeling like myself. In many ways, I felt like here I am, like finally getting momentum and like, oh, like we want another baby, but like maybe not this second, you know, <laughs> like that was so scary of like, okay, I got, I've just done all this stuff and I had a rough first trimester with him. So that was really hard to be like, okay, I have all this stuff launching and now I have a brand new podcast and I'm throwing up every day and I'm oh, miserable oh and I have a two-year-old and like all of that. Right? right. So as much as it was motivating, it was also hard, but I will say with with that pregnancy, I looked at that due date for better or for worse as a deadline. I was like, okay, I want to get this business making money, making full-time money by the time this baby comes out because I don't want to have to go back and do another job. I want to be able to be all in on my business at that point and have that flexibility. So it really did give me that deadline, which I would say at some points was probably a bad thing. I, I probably worked harder than I should have put more pressure on myself, but it also was a good thing because I want this lifestyle when this baby comes. I don't want to be counting my sick days. I don't want to be, yes. you know, having to, to go back to a traditional office 40 hours a week and all of that after he was born. I of course still wanted to work, but I just wanted to have that full control of what that schedule was going to look like. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And can you give us some timeline and time frame? Because you really were an influencer before you became an entrepreneur and podcaster, would you say? I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I think it was before very, it was very like generous. It's very yeah. generous of you. My whole focus was I literally had nothing. I had no clients. I had no offers. I had no, like my whole focus was on Instagram. Now I did still have a job and a two-year-old. So it wasn't like I was on a day and night, but that was the only thing in my business that I was focused on. And what you focus on grows. So yes, Gary V and some of these influencers are on a million different social media channels, but they have teams and they work up to that. So having that singular focus at first, I really think is what allowed me to compound my efforts. And with that, I was able to, my first Instagram account that chasing dreams and littles one by the time we launched the podcast I probably had about 6000 followers mm-hmm. on there in the span of about 5 months okay and, and this then, is 20 what this is 2015 it's okay. very different yeah. very okay. different yeah. time on yeah, Instagram it's a different time. yeah that's a it's important context so, here yes, uh, yes so but I had about 6000 followers and then I had started a second account and that account probably had 10000 followers by then mm. but that account was very focused on handmade shop owners. It was a feature account that I was okay. growing on there. So mm-hmm. if, so it wasn't necessarily the exact target audience for my podcast, but I was making a little bit of money because people were paying me to post their items on it, which is a whole other conversation. But but the funny thing is, so here I was, I had all these Instagram accounts and I wasn't sure how I was going to make money. And I launched a membership, a low cost membership. And I can tell the story in a way that makes it sound impressive. But the bottom line is, yes, I had a following. I got people into a challenge. I, you know, let's say I had 300 people in a challenge. We converted 10% of them into this membership. But the reality is I was still making under $1,000 a month. I was making like $800 a month off this membership. And at that point in time, I actually was working with my dad and making full-time money through real estate. So I'm like, I can't 
can't leave my real estate yeah, job yeah, yeah. to make $800 a month, right? Like that's right. not going to cut it. Yeah. So I had that kind of slowly growing, but very, it felt very slow. But the interesting thing is I had started this, the podcast, right? So then people start listening to the podcast and they're seeing my Instagram account and people kept asking me questions about Instagram. And I had never sought out to sell anything with Instagram, like never planned on selling Instagram courses or being an Instagram expert. But because people saw me having success with it, Mm. all all these inquiries kept coming in. I kept getting tagged for Instagram questions and, and asked to be on podcasts to talk about Instagram. By accident, I had built this personal brand as the go-to gal for Instagram. It's kind of how it happened at first by accident. Okay. So this other business that was the membership, I wasn't really front and center. It was the name of the business. I wasn't really showing my face. I wasn't really, it was a branded business. There was not really a personal brand attached to it. But when the podcast came out and everyone kept seeing all the stuff I was doing, they were, they were like, okay, you're talking about that, but we see you doing this and we want to know that. Right. And so while I was struggling to make money on the one side of the business, this Instagram business just kind of fell in my lap. And all of a sudden I started charging $200 an hour for consultations and a group coaching program came of it. And a course came in all of this stuff, like literally before I even had Marshall, like this all happened in such a short amount of time. And that's really what allowed me to take off is because people were seeing me as this go-to gal for Instagram. Now I don't teach Instagram now. That's not at all part of what I did, but that was the moment when it clicked for me that people connect with people Mm -hmm. and that once someone sees you as that expert, that that's, that gives you that authority to open up the door for all of these other opportunities to happen. My, my mentors asked me to speak at their conference, all of these, you know, PR and podcast opportunities, everything just seemed easy. Where the other side of the business, it was like, this feels so hard. Right. (laughs) And, and that was really the beginning of GoToGal. It took about another year for me to fully brand into that and, and for this other brand to come to life. But that was when I, it all clicked of, oh, okay, this is what, this is what's working for me. And then starting to, to help my people in my membership and my clients that that was really what was going to work for them too. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So tell us how does one even launch a podcast? Where do you start? Where do you start? (laughs) Well, it's, it's funny because what where most people think they need to start is, with the tech of, okay, like I want to start a podcast. What mic do I get? What, right. where, where should I record? How am I going to edit? What, what, where do I even put the podcast? How does it yeah. magically get into the apps, right? There's so much focus on tech. And right now, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but an insane amount of podcasts do what the industry calls pod fade. And that means they launch and then... They put a couple just, episodes out and then nothing. And wow. Then flatline. Yeah. Yeah. Now, some of this is because while great tools have come out like Anchor that make it really easy to publish podcasts, that also makes it really easy to publish podcasts. So, so you don't always mm-hmm. put that thought into it, right? If you can open up a podcast just like you would a Instagram account, right? And right. so it's easier to leave it if you're not taking the time to put that, that plan in place beforehand. So I say before you buy your mic, before you figure out how you're going to host or any of that, you really want to get clear on what is this podcast for? Why is someone going to listen? And also for the person making the podcast, what do you want to get out of it? Do you have a business and you're doing this podcast to bring in leads? Are you looking to really grow a big audience? You can sell advertising. There's so many different ways that you can leverage a podcast to, to lead to more money, (laughs) right? Increase your revenue, your audience, your authority. There's so many things you can leverage that podcast for getting really clear on, okay, what is the goal of this and how is it going to help someone else? And then really then from there, building a plan that's strategic to help cross you through that finish line and really help you achieve that goal. When you treat it as, as a social media platform, and you're not putting that full thought out plan in place, as many of us that open up a, an Instagram account or decide to start posting on our LinkedIn's, we may go into it without that full plan. It's really easy to abandon when you're putting in a lot of work and you're not seeing the results come out of it, right? right. So it's easy to get burned out when you're like, okay, I feel like I'm spending all this time editing and doing all this stuff and, and no one's listening. And when you don't have that, that big picture plan and that big why, 
it is hard to keep going. So I think really when it comes to, okay, you want to do the podcast? Why? What's, why is someone going to listen? And, yeah. and more, most importantly, since it doesn't matter if they listen or not, if, if you're not the one publish, if you're not going to publish it, is how is it going to benefit you? What is your real purpose in doing this podcast? Yes, yes, absolutely. Much like what GoToGal's mission was, is um, helping people find where they're an expert you know, and it's like, why are you getting into this conversation in the first place? And why should people tune in? Because it's a saturated market and you really have to know what your X factor is. Totally. How are you different and how they're going to listen to your podcast and what are they going to take away from it? How's it going to make their life better, their business better, you know, get them thinking about something. There's so many different reasons to listen to podcasts. I love the wide variety of podcasts. Sometimes I think I'm so, I listen to podcasts in the, mostly in the business space, a little bit of health and wellness, but there's yeah. podcasts in so many different categories that are having success. It's just really figuring out how you can be unique and stand out in whatever niche you're in. Yes, exactly. Um, in the beginning, you mentioned tech. So let's go there <laughs> just because that is something that a first time podcaster needs to invest in once they've really honed in on their plan and, you know, a content calendar. So what are some of the production equipment and tools that you swear by? Well, my mic right here, mm-hmm. ATR 2100 is a $65, maybe a hundred dollar mic because they are hot commodities these days. Uh-huh. And this is the only mic I've ever used. I My first one lasted four years and then had a little travel incident with it, but I replaced it. And now, and it's USB, it plugs right into my computer. It cannot be more simple to use. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be expensive. I think some yes. people see these, you know, sometimes the, the fancier mics that the beautiful mic that you see all over Instagram actually requires a much more soundproof environment than most of our students are recording in, right? So sometimes if you get a higher quality mic, your audio quality could really suffer because if you're not recording in a sound studio, you're not going to get the same results with that mic as as maybe a professional podcaster is. So I am recording from my my office, which if Mm -hmm. we were grownups, this would be our dining room. (laughs) It was a playroom. Then I kicked the kids upstairs and, uh, (laughs) and made at my office before then I recorded from my living room for years. And so these are, you know, not rooms that are compl- windows and, you know, I don't have a ton of furniture in here, but I don't need to, the mic is good enough or audio. Awesome. So audio quality matters, but it doesn't have to be. So don't go spending hundreds or more on a mic. And the most important thing that people forget all the time is headphones have to wear headphones. They don't need to be, you don't need to have the big ones that cover your, your whole ears up. You can literally use the, the headphones that come with your iPhone or AirPods are just fine, but you have to, you and your guests need to have headphones because if you don't, you're going to have that echoey sound and it's really going to affect the overall quality. So invest in, in a mic, but it does not need to be a fancy one. And just, I'm sure you already have headphones laying around that you can use for this. And that's really all you need. Now, in terms of software, there's definitely software that you need to, but in terms of actual equipment, most people can get away with just those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Now let's talk software. So what are some of the apps um, or tools that you like to use? Totally. So when it comes to software, you need somewhere to record. Yep. Somewhere to edit and somewhere to host. So really you need to cover those three bases. Now there's dozens of really great options for all of these, but I'll give you a couple of of my favorites just for, for someone listening who wants to get started. So in terms of where to record, I record on Zoom. We're mm-hmm. recording right yeah, now. We're recording on Zoom. Right on Zoom. I love it. I love it. <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it makes it so easy. I Zoom does give you the option if you want to record and have different audio tracks for both mm-hmm. your guest and for you, which if you're going to get fancy on the editing side is nice to have. Or you don't have to do that. I actually don't do that for my podcast because I like saving it to the cloud because then my team can just grab the file off of the internet. I don't have to remember to upload anything. (laughs) I can see my guests, which helps me stay focused and engaged and helps me feel like you're having a real conversation. Like I always feel as an extrovert, I always feel this, but especially now when 
I'm not seeing as many humans, especially adults. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. We're it feels so more like up. we're actually hanging out, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Yes. So oh, nice. I love being able to see them. Sometimes, I mean, if you plan ahead, you could certainly use that video, but you don't have to. And Zoom makes it really easy by just giving you the audio file yep. too. So Zoom is a great place to record. And then for my solo episodes, I actually just use QuickTime. I have a Mac and I can just record my my solo episodes just as audio files through QuickTime. So for editing, the two that I would recommend are Audacity and Descript. Now, if you're going to record by yourself, you can just record right in Audacity too. That's something to consider. And Audacity is what my personal podcast editor, which I have a team member who edits for me. So you Mm -hmm. can either hire an agency to edit for you if you don't want to edit, or you can have a virtual assistant who either knows how to edit or you can, like with with my team member, we we trained her on how to edit and now she's become professional and offers it as a service for other people. So that's a great option too, but I love being able to have someone in-house for that, if you will. She uses Audacity and that you can make it complicated or you can make it simple with Audacity. It really, you can, you can kind of take it up as far as you want to go with it. Right. Uh, but I'm excited to be able to share this other pretty new tool that we discovered this year called Descript. And I think that the editing piece is a hang up for so many people where they're like, I don't have the budget to hire an editor. I don't have the time to edit. I don't want to edit or it's just way too techy or complicated. And Descript it's magic really. And what it does is it takes your audio file or your video file and it essentially gives you this transcript and where you can take in just like you would in a Google doc, highlight a sentence or highlight a paragraph and delete it. And it literally deletes that section from the audio. So you don't have to be doing like the typical edit. Like you can literally edit text and that text edits the audio. This is like mind blown. I'm like, this opens it up for now. It's like democratizing (laughs) the editing process for podcasting. And I love that they're just making it so easy for people to be able to do their own editing because so many podcasters, at least in the beginning, do their own editing. So this is, this opens up that door to so many. Yeah, exactly. I just, I think it's such a revolutionary tool that you shared because transcribing if you are doing that, you don't need to do that when you have an episode, but if you are, that's really, really tedious. And then to edit on top of that, and here you have a tool that's doing both. Exactly. Okay. So tell us about how you um, met Farnoosh Tarabi, who's also a known podcaster and um, finance expert, how you both teamed up and came up with Pace to Podcast and a lot more on the horizon. Yes. So Farnoosh and I met maybe three years ago. I don't know. It all blends together, but it was a while ago. I think it was about three years ago. We met in person back when we used to do things like that. (laughs) Oh, I miss those days, but we didn't, we met in person, we hit it off. And at the time, so Farnoosh's podcast is so money and her business is really about money in the finance industry. But because of the success of her podcast, now she has over 15 million downloads. She's been nominated for a Webby Award. So she really has this, you know, one of the most popular podcasts, I would say. So she mm-hmm. was getting this interest and wanted to put a program together. And that's really what kicked off our relationship because that was the type of work I was helping clients with at the time. So we started working together and we put together a group coaching program that we ran together for her audience for about a year and a half, a high-end group coaching program just for, for people getting started with podcasting. And then last year, I I went on vacation for a week. And I always say, like, sometimes you just have to get away from the computer to get away from... I had We had the kids with us, so it was not quiet or calm by right. any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but there's something about just getting outside of your regular routine. So even if you can't travel now, maybe just taking a walk or going camping or something. But we took a, a little getaway to Maine at the end of the summer last year. And that... Somewhere on that trip, the, the idea just popped into my head that that we should make it a course. We weren't going to yes. launch the group coaching program that fall. We didn't have the the bandwidth for it, but it seems like a course might make sense for my audience. And we hadn't really been marketing it to my audience yet. And I knew that the go to gal audience 
would be interested in podcasting. And a lot of them were podcasters or were wanting to start a podcast and I didn't really have anything for them. Mm-hmm. And I came back and texted Varnush and was like, I have this crazy idea. You want to get out of call? And, and the rest was history, but it was like, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's start this, this course together as, you know, as 50, 50 partners. And, and it's, we originally thought we were going to take the content from, from that original group coaching program, but through market research, through reaching out and, and talking to people that would be prospective students, we found out something we never would have come up with on our own and what they saw in us. And the thing with Farnoosh and I is we both, it's not just that we both have successful podcasts, but it's that we've been able to leverage our podcast to, to really be growth engines for our business. And nobody used that terminology, but that's the terminology that we use now. But that was the thing that stood out the most when we were getting that feedback of why people would want to learn from us. It was like, well, both make money in all these really interesting ways for your podcast and it helps your business grow and it helps you get these opportunities and how we've really not just taken the podcast to bring in money from advertisers, like a lot of podcasters do, but how we've been able to really build this growth engine that fuels all of these different opportunities. And we do it in, in pretty different ways. There's definitely overlap, but we both leverage it in different ways, which I think it makes the partnership even more powerful. It's like, okay, we can both bring a little bit something different to the table and relate to different types of students that we would have depending on what their goals are. So we're like, all right, well, let's, we have a base level of content here, but we really ended up recreating all of it by the end of <laughs> the end of it. And every time we run the course, we, we improve on it, but that's where it all started. And so now we have Pays to Podcast, which we've run a couple of times and it really turned into an eight-week sprint, where it's each week we tell you exactly what to do to get you to launch your podcast within those eight weeks and and break it down and make it really actionable and easy to implement. And we've added in a lot of you know templates and scripts and things to just make it even that much easier to, to get started and fill in the blank with things um, instead of starting from scratch. And, and then for the more existing podcasters, we're launching a mastermind to, to really help those people that are already podcasting come together in community and, and share resources and leads and guests and support each other and have each other on as guests and, and all that while also having access to us to help with the PR side of things and the monetization and get that strategy as well. Oh my goodness. Awesome. This is, I love the the backstory and I'm so excited for this mastermind group. (laughs) It's, Um, it's great. It's so um, wonderful to be part of the community that you've built and, And I'm just fortunate to have you as, you know, a coach and sounding board, you know, as I've built my show. So I can't sing your praises and the course that you've built enough. Okay. Star students. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's talk money and advertising. Would you say there's substantial revenue to be made through podcast, you know, advertising? So yes and no, right? What I love about it is it's literally limitless. And when when you talk about making passive income, you could have the same podcast, but if you're able to increase your listeners, you can charge that much more for advertising and it's not any more work as your podcast grows, right? And you're able to still keep getting that revenue from advertising, the reason why I, so limitless in terms of, okay, your podcast keeps growing great. We can keep charging more and there's more opportunities there where I say yes and no is that it's at first, if you don't have that audience base, it can feel harder and possible to, especially if you Google this to, to get advertisers. If you only have a couple hundred listeners or something like that, you know, I don't even fall into the category. If you, if you Google you know, how to price things. It's literally price per thousand. And most, most advertisers that are going through agencies won't even work with you if you have under 4,000 downloads an episode. So Mm. it's easy to get discouraged and think, okay, if I don't even have 4,000 downloads an episode, I can't even get advertising money. I can't make money from my podcast. And, and that is, I say couldn't be further from the truth. It just takes getting a little bit creative and and thinking of those different ways you can leverage your podcast, both for advertising money, but also for opportunities and even to sell other products or services that you have. Yes, absolutely. There are a lot of tools for podcast advertisers and those who are brands who are looking um, to promote on podcasts. And one that I discovered is Podcorn. 
And I just, I love it. I feel like it's really democratized the business because you create a profile and, you know, whether you're a brand or a podcaster and you literally get to pitch via like a written pitch and an audio pitch, which I think is so awesome um, to, yeah, to the brands. And, you know, you get like a few minutes and you pitch why they should, you know, do their pre-roll or mid-roll ad on your show. And, and there you have it. Then they just kind of get back to you and, and tell you if the proposal was accepted or not. But, uh, but yeah, there, I think you have to be a little resourceful, even if you are small, because, you know, those homegrown brands that want someone who's a, quote unquote, micro influencer, or someone who is niche in their programming, because that's the exact audience that they're looking to tap. And I love that tip that you gave with Podcorn. I'm very excited for your guest expert session on this too, (laughs) uh, because yes, it opens up so many opportunities. But I would say for whether it's on Podcorn or off of Podcorn, to start with advertisers, brands that you use, you're going to stand out, whether it's in that pitch through there or pitch through email, if you're able to really talk genuinely about Mm -hmm. their brand and you get it and you fall into that category where you're their target audience, right? And your listeners likely are too. That's the kind of, you can't, you can't buy that, right? Like you can buy it, but it's, but that's that extra layer where you're able to genuinely talk about it that really stands out to brands. The first paid sponsor that I got, which our podcast had under 500 downloads an episode at the time. It was a SaaS product, uh, an online software that both my co-host at the time and I both used and that we were already recommending to our audience and it just fit perfectly. And that was where the CEO of the company actually was the one who I was negotiating with. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was like, this is exactly what we want because they wanted people that understood the tool and that yes. could speak and share their experiences about it to, to be the ones that were getting paid to sponsor. Because what happened then is, yes, they were paying us for ads, but how many times did we just naturally talk about it too? Because we were using it and it made sense to recommend it. We weren't only talking about it during that ad spot. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It comes off way more organic and authentic. And of course, we recommend that you do your research and and look up what uh, typical podcast advertising rate would be given your audience um, and the demographics and psychographics involved. So is there a formula on generating press and getting on those lists? You know, those top 10 lists that say these are the top 10 entrepreneurial podcasts or marketing podcasts or parenting podcasts, and they're curated on all the blogs that we love and know. So how do you just break in and be featured on one of those lists? This is such a great question. I wish I had the perfect answer for this. I will say a lot of it comes down to relationships getting press outside of those lists, right? So you're starting to build relationships with those writers who write the list before they're writing the list, right? So developing that relationship and whether it's your, you know, helping them find sources or whether you're a source for them or writing articles for wherever it is that they publish, but getting that relationship beforehand, because when it comes time to write those lists, the way I understand it, a lot of the writers, we can't obviously speak for all of them, but a lot of them will research other lists that have already been. Yes, exactly. They're not even listening to all the Which is the worst, right? It's like, do you really know? Yeah, I guess they they can't listen to every, like, (laughs) right. Like think about it realistically. Yeah. They can't listen to every podcast and then, and then rank them and yes, right. So so there's going to be an element of bias in it, right? Mm -hmm. So they're going to, they're going to look and see who, who has been featured in these lists before, but they may also reach out to their coworkers, other other people in the industry. So that's where being top of mind and whether it's because you've had press before or because you have those relationships, that helps to get that foot in the door to be top of mind for those. I will say that sometimes before you get a top 10 or top whatever type of, of podcast roundup article with one of the more established media outlets, a lot of times your own listeners will do this. So you'll have a listener that has their own parenting blog or their own marketing blog and, and they're writing and they're a listener. So they're sold on your podcast and you end up on those sites, which 
you know, or maybe not a, you know, a, a national or international publication. It's more of a niche audience, but never underestimate the power of niche audiences. Also, those top 10 lists could still come up in searches too. Yes. So sometimes that is kind of how it, how it happens organically over time. So true. Yeah. And it's just, it's all about kind of getting those hits um, and those backlinks that are redirecting traffic back to your site. And of course your podcast. This whole game, it's a multi-pronged approach <laughs> on kind of growing your audience and um, getting that due and being able to really appeal to the masses and then make money. So tell us about your kids and, and how it's like, you know, juggling your business and taking care of them. Oh my goodness. If you would have asked me this question a year ago, it probably would have been a very different answer. I know. I know. I right? Know. Yeah. And this past few months with all of us being home has has really been a juggle. It's funny. Back to my first business, Chasing Dreams and Littles, my tagline or hashtag for that business was the juggle is real. And I've been saying it a lot lately. So like true. The, juggle, the juggle is so real. Yeah, exactly. So, that's so on point I cannot tell you (laughs) oh it has it has but we make it work as best we can and I'm so grateful for one I married very well so my husband of almost 12 years has been so supportive with helping to to just play tag team with a lot of things as, as we figure out time for both of us to work and all of that and I used to say I was lucky to live two miles down the road from my parents but this was very strategic and intentional. This is not yes, luck. This is yes, so yes. I'm also very grateful that we do live two miles down the road from my parents and and they can support as well. But Amazing. I will say the the thing that's kept us the most sane throughout all of this is really even when it feels like all of the lines of work and family and play and are just blurred a lot is really taking that time to have intentional time with the family and intentional time for work, which can be really hard some days, but that's like the days that we are able to, to have those, those more not blurred lines drawn of, of I've, I've really taken time to with each of my kids individually. And sometimes that means like, all right, you're watching a show and we're going in the other room and we're going to play something, even if it's just for 10 minutes. Um, to have that one-on-one time with them, that fills their cup so much. Yeah. And what I found is when they get that attention, which literally sometimes it's only 10 minutes each, you know, of one-on-one like that, right? But that makes all the difference. And they're not as frustrated with each other. They're not mm-hmm. as, you know, they're more patient with me. They're more because there's so much we all need to do throughout the course of the day. So finding those times to just do things that are fun together and and just that like, yeah, one-on-one time has been has been such a game changer because when we were all home those first few weeks of quarantine, oh they got God. a little, they got a little crazy really fast. So, yeah. so that has been our biggest game changer with that. And now I'm forgetting where I was even going. No, so how do I juggle it all? I yeah. don't do it all. I guess I think that my thing, my biggest thing is I don't do it all myself. So yes. I, like I said, I have help from my husband. I've helped from my mom, and I've helped in my business. I have a team that supports me there too because. Right. I am only good at so many things. I'm not good at a lot of things. I have I have my list of things that I'm good at and it makes sense to outsource the rest, whether that's right. in my business or at home. And I will say after Marsha was born, going back to like pretty early on in my business, that's when I really started looking at okay, where can I find help? And looking at both the business and the home as one of like, okay, how can I allocate resources? Because I was at the time I was like, okay, three months is going to be three months old. I got to hire a nanny. And I was really struggling with hiring a nanny. Mm -hmm. And and then I was like, okay, well, I need to do all this. You know, I need to write sales pages and all of this stuff. I'm like, I'm not even sleeping at night. How am I going to do this? Maybe I should just hire a copywriter. And that's when I started to look a little bit more holistically at like, okay, where do I need the most support right now? And where do I want to be spending my time? So to, to this day, I still do that. And I will say most people overlook this slight fact, but if you're hiring babysitters for your home, typically you can't write that off, right? But if you're hiring yeah. contractors for your business, you can write a hundred percent of that so off, smart. right? When you yes. think about childcare, I mean, <laughs> I think we spent like eighteen thousand dollars in childcare last year, right? I could only write off a, maybe three thousand dollars of that, right? Here in the U.S., that you know we're pretty limited with with how much of that we could write off with daycare and, and childcare. Where my contractors, <coughs> I spent 
way more than that. And I was able to write all of that up. So, so it's true. also a good little, not that I'm, a, <laughs> do not take this as tax advice. Yeah. Oh, disclaimer. <laughs> not that I'm an accountant, but you kind of overlook that sometimes. So that's where I, I keep kind of looking with the business of this. Okay. Everything changes every month now that we've all been home. So how can I keep making those tweaks, whether it's at home or in the business to, to keep us all sane? Because I do think that, um, I don't know. It seems like every month the kids have different needs. I have yes. different, the business has different needs, you know, so we're just kind of being flexible is really probably the biggest thing. Yes, no, absolutely. And I love that you talked about where to outsource because there's certain things that can be remote. Childcare cannot really be remote. <laughs> you know, you need somebody no. physically with them um, or they're, you know, they're in a daycare, as you mentioned. So yeah, great tips. Okay, so tell us about a mom sense moment that you had. My my daughter Eleanor was born eight weeks early. She was she was a preemie and spent twenty five days in the NICU. She was three pounds ten ounces. We bought her we brought her home at ten pounds ten ounces, and and with that I was I was nursing and pumping and and all of this. And and when we came home. After 25 days, I was only allowed to nurse for eight hours. So during that eight-hour window, I could nurse on demand as she needed it. And the rest of the time, I was pumping and giving her bottles with a scoop of formula in them. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then then maybe we went to another appointment, and I was able to work my way up to 12 hours of nursing. And then the other 12, we were still doing that. And we went to the 12-week appointment. And, and it was still the 12 hours and my doctor was like, okay, well, this is working. I think we should just stick with this. And I was like, this is not working because literally I was nursing for those 12 hours and the other 12 hours, she ate every three hours I was pumping and then having to give her a bottle. I mean, thank goodness. I didn't have another child at the time, but I literally, my life was completely dedicated to feeding this child essentially at this point. Right. And there's like this crisis mode adrenaline that I feel like I had those first few months, but by three months I was like, okay, like we're home. We still hadn't been to a grocery store. I think I was like in training then for, for now. Right. like, this isn't my first quarantine. Like, we didn't leave the house, you know, we had like right. gallons of Purell. Like it really was, oh, we didn't want to expose her to anything. And I was like, okay, like, this is like, I got here to three months. I really feel like she's growing. Like, I feel like we could just be nursing around the clock and I don't have to keep pumping like this. Right. But the doctor was, a, the doctor was afraid to say yes. Right. And she didn't tell me this, but she was like, well, this is working. I don't think we should change it. And, and that was, we went, you know, we left that appointment and I looked at my husband and I was like, there's no reason why I can't be nursing her 24 hours. Like I just, I knew that she was nursing fine. I knew we were in a good rhythm. It felt really strange to go against what the doctor was advising, but I also felt like this doctor maybe didn't know NICU babies and and was afraid to make a call that, you know, without really knowing enough information. Right. And so Luckily, I had established a really good relationship with the lactation consultant in the NICU. Uh So Uh I was able to call her up and I told her the situation and she was like, okay, here's what you got to do. And she had me go back to like increase it a little bit with hours, go back in two weeks for a weight check, increase it a little bit, go back for a weight check and kind of build the confidence up of the doctor. But Sarah stepped me through it because I knew that I couldn't sustain going with that. And, and I knew that she didn't need it and, and that would really what was going to be best for both of us. So, um, so yeah, that was the first and we, a few other things came up with that doctor and we did end up switching doctors. And I think that was probably following my mom's sense too of, okay, this probably isn't the best doctor for us. And, um, making sure we had a a different doctor by the time Marshall came around, that was a little bit more in line with, with what we wanted to do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's really, really great advice, especially for the first time mom that takes what the doctor's saying as gospel. And it's like, no, no, you still, you have that last say. So you know your baby best, you know, being, I was on bed rest in the hospital for a few weeks and being in a teaching hospital, I saw that difference between the interns who were afraid to make the wrong call. So would have jumped to the maybe more severe of, of delivering or whatever, because they're afraid of, they don't know enough about all the variables to make that educated, maybe more risky decision, but better decision in the long run, where right. my doctor who had had more experience was, was calm and, you know, confident in, in making those, those balancing those risky decisions, right. And not just immediately anytime, you know, we were trying to get me to at least 32 weeks, you know, every day it was like, what do we do? And, and so right. seeing that difference, I think I had that in the back of my head with this doctor of like, I don't know if she, 
knows enough to be confident in this decision. And doctors are people too. And so while she was making a safe decision and nothing would have been wrong with it, I, I don't think I would have been able to sustain nursing as long. I mean, I ended up nursing for a year. I think I would have burnt out a lot sooner. Yes. And, you know, and just to be able to build up her immune system and, and all of that, I'm, I'm glad we were able to, to find what worked best for us. Find a plan that worked. Yeah, absolutely. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Do you have a quote that you live by? Oh, I have a couple, but one that I that I love that I use mainly for business, but that's been coming up a little bit lately with my kids too, is this or something better. Mm. And and how we use it is it's so easy. I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't want to get my hopes up. Right. And, and when we get our hopes up about something, a lot of times we put all this pressure on like, this is the scenario we want to happen. And this is the only scenario. Right. And so it's almost like this, like negative energy of like, this has to work of that. We're like strangling the idea or the opportunity <laughs> on. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like, this has to happen. And, or, or people try to mitigate their happiness of like, well, I don't want to get too excited because then if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be let down. And, and I don't think that's really a good place to be in either. So what I like about this or something better is it allows you to get your hopes up about the this of like, okay, like let's be excited about this. But it gives you that little bit of a door of like, okay, if that doesn't happen, it's because something better is around the corner. You know, typically I use it with my business and with my clients, but with with things with school happening and this or that, it's kind of opened up the kids' minds to like, okay, if it's not this, like it's something better, right? That's really, really good advice. I love that. I mean, and it's something that kids can grasp too, because we're just not hanging on to our expectations, as you said. And we need that during these uncertain times. Yes. And we need all the hope too, right? So it allows us to keep hanging on to the hope without the disappointment. Exactly. Exactly. And now please tell um, my audience where we can find you and follow you and get to know about um, your work and clients and courses. Yes. So, well, of course, at the GoTo Gal podcast. So wherever you're listening to this, go find GoTo Gal. And and also uh, I'm on Instagram, Jacqueline underscore Malone, as well as go.to.gal. We have two Instagram accounts, and those are probably the best places to find me or just JacquelineMalone.com. Amazing. Amazing. I'm so glad that we had this chat and got to know you a little bit better because we hear your voice. It's such a comforting voice. And we hear all the expert advice that you have been giving us on podcasting and um, becoming an expert in our field. And now um, we get to hear your backstory. And I'm so, so um, fortunate to know you. And I'm glad to have shared your story on the show. Uh, Well, thank you so much. This has been so fun chatting with you. And uh, it's fun to talk about the mom stuff and the business stuff. So I so appreciate the opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Thanks for listening and giving me your most precious commodity over the holidays, your time. Follow me on Instagram at Kanika Chada Gupta and at That's Total Mom Sense. You can slide into my DMs. I'm excited to get to know all of you. And you can email too. Uh, that's totalmomsense at gmail.com. This was a very, very trying year for all of us. There's no denying it. Uh, but things are looking up in 2021. I'm feeling very hopeful. So remember, always trust your mom's sense. It'll never steer you wrong. Stay strong and see you in the new year. Total mom sense.